Go ahead and have a seat. We're going to jump into our lesson today. Um, we are continuing our, our series, The Villain. And uh, we have been looking at the Bible bad guys. Everybody here knows this. I'm doing this for Carolyn and Illumide, okay? They just got here, so they don't know. Uh, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. No, the idea of this, again, is that there's good guys in the Bible, there's bad guys in the Bible, and when we read the Bible, we usually self-identify as one of the good guys. And, then, and that's fine, except we miss the lessons of the villain when we don't ever connect ourselves to the villain. We think we're the good guy. So we try to learn the lessons of the good guy, and that's good, but we miss a large portion. And so if you remember, we went through like uh, Joseph's brothers, we went through Pharaoh, we went through Saul, King Saul, we went through the false prophets last week. And uh, this week, we're going to do something a little strange. We're going to look at the evil kings as one big chunk of people. We're not going to look at one. So we looked at Saul, he's on this list, but we're not just going to look at a guy or two guys or three guys. We're going to look at all of these kings rolled up into one. And I need to ask your permission. Is it okay with you guys if I use, like, just a ton of scriptures today? Okay? Don't get overwhelmed. There's a lot. Do you remember that fear lesson where I had, like, 155 verses and the kids counted them? Um, This is not going to get that bad. But uh, we're going to look at a lot of scriptures. And so I've got a long intro I'm, I'm warning you right, right now, okay? Don't be surprised when this happens. I've got a long intro and then five points. And so, buckle in. I'm going to try to keep it into like, I don't know, 35 minutes. I'm going to take us all the way back to the garden, though. And here are some very interesting pictures that I just found on the internet. So, don't blame me. But I want to start in the garden. And I want to look at these two things. Walking through the garden versus taking the fruit, okay? Now, what, what does those have to do with the evil kings? Well, I'm going to try to set the stage here. In Genesis 3, this is when both of these things happen. We know that uh, the serpent said, hey, did God really say if you touch the tree, you'll die? He didn't, by the way. Adam, I maybe said that. But, um, but God didn't say that. And so he tricked Eve into taking the fruit. And it says... In verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And then they hide. If you remember the story, they hide from God. And it says that God was walking through the garden in the cool of the day, which is a very interesting phrase, but it's it's this idea, uh, like in in the Jewish tradition, like a lot of people just assume like, When God put Adam and Eve in the garden, he was like, hey, you and I are going to hang out. And I am going to teach you everything you know about how to do this thing called life in the the world that I made. And you know that God told Adam and Eve to to be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth and rule it. And so you've got these these co-rulers, and it's our job to not only... uh, do our job here, but do it the way God wants it done. And at the same time, keep making more and more humans. Now, how complex would that be 
If your job was to make decisions always the way God wants you to make them, and keep making them and teaching all the new people how to make them, it would be easy if it was just me. And it gets infinitely more complicated as there's more people. But we have this idea of where like, God is like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend time with you. But then Eve saw, well, this tree and the fruit of this tree is going to give me the thing that I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to gain wisdom. And, and I could keep walking with God in that cool of the day for the next 100,000 years until I learn how to do it right. Or I could just take it. And this is a very interesting distinction. This is the difference between receiving wisdom and seizing wisdom. Long walks with God through the garden. How long would that take to learn how to make only good choices all the time with, you know, millions of other people? Take a long time. And yet, Eve said, but this thing will, will give me what I need. This will teach me right and wrong. And he's like, no, 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 no. Don't eat that. Do the walks through the garden. And it's like, it's similar to like, when I was a kid, I hated waiting till Christmas morning to open my presents. Like, I hated it. And my parents, I prob- they probably have a lot more like recollections of this, but I know that if, if they were gone, we were like looking for our presents. And we knew the hiding spots, and we'd find them, and we'd be like, oh, this is what I'm getting, this is what you're getting. And I remember one time, this is to my shame, and if my mom's watching, I'm sorry, but like, we went to Grandpa Tom's house, and all the presents are under the tree, and I woke up Christmas Eve night, and snuck out, and I tried to unwrap my presents, like, to see. I just couldn't wait. I'm like, literally, just go to bed, and you're gonna wake, you'll wake up and open them in the morning. I couldn't. I wanted, to op- I wanted to see it. And I ended up ripping the paper in a way that I couldn't fix. And then the next morning, my mom is like, what's the matter with the corner of your present? And I remember totally lying. The dumbest lie. I was like, I don't know, maybe one of the light bulbs was too close and it like burned the paper or something. She's like, no, that's dumb. That's, that would never happen. <laughs> but I didn't want to get caught. But I, I, I had this like desire. I, I can't wait to be given my presents. I need to know what they are now. And every single Christmas morning, it just was lame because I was like, yeah, I knew I already got that. I saw that three weeks ago in your closet. And so halfway through Christmas morning, I'm done playing with my toys. I'm like, "Mm." I've already fantasized for weeks about what it was going to be like. Now that I actually have it, it's kind of lame. And I was over it. And I feel like when we don't wait to receive the thing that God wants to give us, instead we seize it, we're like, I'm going to take it, then it we don't get the, the results that God wanted us to get. As you can tell from the garden, yes, eating the tree will teach you what is good and what is bad. It's not going to go the way you think it's going to go. You should have waited and let God teach you that. So, we're still in the intro. Let's talk about the difference between receiving a king and seizing a king. Okay? This is what it looks like to receive a king. Some people don't realize this is in the Bible, but God in Deuteronomy, way back, while they're in the wilderness, he says, hey, when you get to the land I'm going to give you, you're going to want a king, and here's how you pick a king. This is what he says in Deuteronomy 17. 
When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us, be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from your own, uh, from your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must acquire great number, uh, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself, or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives, or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law, taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees, and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites, and turn from the law to the right or to the left, then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. So this is God before, before promised land, before judges, before kings. God actually gives them a blueprint of this is the king that you're supposed to find. I'm, I'm gonna, you have to wait for the king I'm going to give you. And then you have to, and here's the, some like, like ideas of who that should look like. He shouldn't acquire great wealth. He shouldn't take many wives. He should, he should be devoted to the word. And yet, many, many, many years later, the Israelites get itchy and they're like, we want a king now. And Samuel warns them, you're seizing, you're seizing this opportunity. You're, you've stopped waiting on God. And so this is the warning that Samuel gives them. In Sam, 1 Samuel 8, starting in verse 11. This is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses. And they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties. And others to plow his ground and reap his harvest. And still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkey, he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. And it's, it's, I love these because it parallels the garden. It parallels like God's commitment to walk in the cool of the day and hang out with Adam and Eve. But then they're like, but we, here's a shortcut. We'll just take it. I can get this for myself. We are still in the introduction, people. Okay, Here are a list of the kings of Israel and Judah. And I like putting this up. If you've seen my lessons, I'll, I'll like, like to compile lists every once in a while. Here's a list of all the, the kings of Israel and Judah. It doesn't start with Saul. Uh, it starts with Abimelech. That's actually the first guy that said, hey, I'm king now. Um, and then the thing with Israel and Judah. So here's a breakdown. Like the, the first few up through uh, Solomon, that's when it was all one country. And then after Solomon with uh, Rehoboam, it splits and now we have Israel and Judah, and they have separate kings, separate kingdoms. And then that last column 
uh, after Zedekiah, those are after the Old Testament. That's leading up to Herod in the New Testament, okay? So we've got all these kings, all these people, all these guys, and, and a couple of girls. If you see in there, uh, Athalia and uh, Salome, Alexandra, those are queens of Israel. Um, we have these people that have forcefully taken power and said, I am, I am your king. All right. Now, how many of them were bad? And it and it's, uh, it's nice because the Bible actually tells us very clearly how many of them were bad. So all of these in the red are evil kings. And you might be like, well, bro, that's, a, that's quite a judgment you're making of them. <laughs> uh, and I didn't put, the, I didn't put the, the last column just because that's intertestimonial and New Testament. And they're, they're bad kings too, but we're just not going to talk about those, okay? But these are bad kings. And one of the ways we know that they are bad is because the Bible clearly tells us they were bad. And so a phrase you're going to see over and over and over again in um, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles is this. This person did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so Solomon, you're like, Solomon's a good guy, right? He was a good guy until he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so, uh, and all these guys, it'll say this. Solomon was evil because he didn't follow David. But then you have other guys, like this is Baasha, who he was evil because he followed the bad guy that came before him. And so we're going to look at some of the kings. Now, why are we doing this? Am I trying to convince you that you're like the evil kings? That's what I did the last sermons. I'm not going to do that this sermon. These guys are so bad. It's just, we're not like them. There's, there's, there's very few things that we have in common with these guys. But the lesson for today is this, and, and if you noticed, I'm going to be doing the communion. This is a communion. I am going to contrast five ways that the, that the kings were very bad and that they are the exact opposite of Jesus. Okay? And then we're going to take communion. So the kings, the evil kings, they ruled, they gathered power, and they got everything for themselves. And then we see later, we kind of see the king that God wants to give us if we will receive it instead of seizing it. And we see that in the person of Jesus. And so I'm going to go through five ways. How are we doing on time? Okay. Uh, We're going to go through five ways that the kings were bad and that Jesus is the opposite of that. All right. So we're going to start first. We're looking at being served versus serving. And you can probably already think of the scripture I'm going to use for the Jesus side of this, but the way we're going to do this is I'm going to, I'm going to talk about the kings first, and then I'm going to put the Jesus scripture on the other side of uh, the screen. But I want to look at the kings. And even like the warning that Samuel gave them was all about this. Like, this guy is going to get power, and he's going to use all this power to just make your people serve him. And here is an example. This is Rehoboam. Maybe you've read this. This is a great story. If you've never read about Rehoboam, totally wicked dude. But he comes to power and he's like, he asks the elders, like, what should I do? And they're like, you should take it easy on the people. Your dad was hard. You should be better. And then he asks his friends, hey, what do you think I should do? They're like, don't, don't, don't take it easy. And you should be harder than your dad. And so he comes back. He rejects the advice of the elders. He goes along with his friends. And this is what he says. My father made your yoke heavy, I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips, I will scourge you with scorpions. 
It's a famous you know, quote from Rehoboam. But the idea is, he's like, I want you to know that you work for me. I am the king. Your whole existence, your whole life is to serve me. And I'm going to, so you want, you want relief? Not only am I not going to give you relief, I'm going to make your life harder. Because I need to drive home this very important point. You, like, work for me. Your whole job is to please me, is to serve me, is to, to do what I want you to do. And Rehoboam is not unique in this. All the kings. This is the warning from Samuel. This is what kings do. You put a guy and give him enough power and he's going to make everybody around there serve him. And yet, I'm going, to try to, I'm going to try to move through these pretty quick. I feel like I could talk way too long on each one of these. And yet, on the other side, we see Jesus. And this is one of my favorite scriptures. I'm going to read the whole thing starting in verse 25. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is one of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. Jesus is like, you know how everybody else does it. We're not going to do it that way. And if you want to be great in this thing that we're building called the kingdom, it's going to look very different than the kings. And he even contrasts. He's like, everybody knows how they act. We're not going to act like that. I'm going to end, before I move on to each new point, I'm going to end with this, this statement. But what about us? Do we appreciate Jesus for how unlike the kings he is? Or... Do we feel like maybe the kings had it right? Which one does our life more closely resemble? And you might be like, I haven't scourged scourged anyone with scorpions. I get you. And that's why I'm like, yeah, we're not as bad as these guys. But we need to be like Jesus. Amen? So that's point number one. Served or serving. Point number two. Violent versus peaceful. And, you know, if scourging with scorpions isn't bad enough, like, these guys were violent men. And they regularly would just start a war to get things done. I mean, we still do that. Our global power leaders, they still do that stuff. But here is Abimelech, okay? This one is crazy. Abimelech, he was that first guy who said he was king over Israel. Uh, He got a, a bunch of money from, from his family and his, his, his people. And what he did was uh, he went to, out to the, the neighboring tribes and everything and he hired uh, scoundrels, reckless scoundrels. And he basically like, hired a bunch of thugs. And he, he got all this money and he said, hey, I'm going to give it to these guys and that's going to buy their loyalty and we're basically going to make the beginning of a little army, a little, a little band of rebels. And then these guys, because I'm paying them, they're going to do what I want, and we're going to go make trouble all over the place. And uh, later at the end, I'm going to tell you how he, what he did um, in the last point. But Abimelech was a violent, violent man. 
And he loved leveraging violence to get what he wanted. And Jesus is the exact opposite of that. And we know Jesus, we're going to look at what he said in the garden, when he's like, hey, I could, I could call down angels. I'm not doing that. But this is what I love about Jesus is what he was talking about in the Beatitudes, on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. None of the kings, none of the kings uh, were this. There were some kings that were good and that like lived the way God wanted them to. And even Solomon, like when you read the Proverbs, he talks about like living a peaceful life over and over and over. And it's beautiful, but he, he then went astray. The Beatitudes, the blessed ours, if you remember Makarios, the blessed ours, They are a beautiful, beautiful picture of what it looks like if you're going to commit to kingdom living, not kingly living. The problem is, it's just so darn hard to do. Like, man, I wish living like the Beatitudes was just easier. But it's not. There's going to be times where you're going to say, okay, this peacemaking business is stupid. I'm done with that. I don't want to make peace anymore. But what about us? Do we appreciate how Jesus is so unlike the kings? Or do we sometimes feel like the kings had it right? Which one does our life more closely resemble? So that's point two, violent and and peaceful. All right, here's point number three. This is a tough one. Control and surrender. Control or surrender. Now this is um, Samuel's warning again. He says, guys, he's going to run your life if you put, if you put the king you choose in, in power. And we see that over and over and over again. The kings, they just, they get, they get working on the situation and they're like, I'm in charge here. So I'm going to make my, I'm going to make it happen the way I want it to happen. One of the crazy stories is, uh, did it go? Yeah. So this is Ahaz. Ahaz was a bad king, and one of the things he did is he was trying to curry favor with, like, enemy nations. And so he actually took all the silver and gold out of the temple of God. And then he used it as a bribe to pay off the king of Assyria. So that the king of Assyria would go fight the king of Damascus. Like, hey, I will give you all of the money in our temple, all the gold, all the articles, all the silver, if you go and you kill my enemy. And he did. And he like sidled up and got favor in the king of Assyria. And we see this in, uh, in Micah. Micah is a prophet who was a- around during Ahaz's reign. And we see Micah warning not just the king, but the whole nation. Like, you all do this. And this is what he says in Micah 2, 1 and 2. Woe to those who plan iniquity. To those who plot evil on their beds. At morning's light, they carry it out because it is in their power to do it. They covet fields and seize them, and houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes. They rob them of their inheritance. He's like, you're all messed up. You're all trying to like work it. Get control. Take things that don't belong to you. Because you're like the kings. This is what happens. This is what kings do. And yet, 
The complete opposite of the controlling king is Jesus. The king that was absolutely surrendered. And so this is what we see in the garden. We all know this. Jesus prays twice. God, I don't want to do this. But it's not, what, not about what I want to do. It's about what you want to do. If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. In uh, just a few verses after this is when uh, they come to arrest him, and he says, do you think I cannot call on my Father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? Jesus is like, I'm surrendered to the plan, guys. Is it fun? Nope. Is it going to be horrible? Yes. But I, I, can't, I can't jump in. I can't be like the kings and start controlling everything. I am surrendered. And then in John 18, when Jesus goes before Pilate, you can imagine Pilate was one of those kings. Pilate was the guy who's like, I'm in charge. I run things. And he probably thought Jesus was going to come and start begging for his life. Pilate was like, I know I've been... I've had many people on, the, on death's door come before me and beg and plead and cry and drool all over themselves and tell me how they're bad. He's like, Jesus is probably going to do the exact same thing. And Jesus is like, yeah, do whatever you're going to do, man. And Pilate probably assumed that I have power, I have authority, I have control, you have none, so, so you're going to come and beg to me. And Jesus is like, I am begging you for nothing. Your power, your control, and your authority is completely useless. Jesus' power came from the fact that he didn't need that control because he was surrendered to God's plan. And this is the tough one. But what about us? Do we scheme and devise and come up with plans and we, I'm going to run my life. Do we appreciate Jesus for how totally opposite the kings he was? Or do we feel like sometimes the kings had it right? Which one does our life more closely resemble. All right, that's point three, if I'm on track. All right, surrender and control. Here's uh, number four, rich and poor. This is a tough one for us. Rich and poor. The kings, you know, Samuel's warning again, when you do this, they're going to take all your stuff, and now it's their stuff, and they're going to be wealthy, and you're going to be poor, and he's like, this is what kings do. They take your stuff. And over and over again, that's what the kings did. No one probably did it better than Solomon. And which is funny because he's right off the, right off the bat. Uh, Solomon, when the queen of Sheba came to visit Solomon in 1 Kings 10, this is what it says. When the queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon and the palace he had built the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, his cupbearers, and the burnt offerings he made at the, ta- at the temple of the Lord. She was overwhelmed. The queen of Sheba was overwhelmed by Solomon's stuff. And she said to the king, in wisdom and wealth, you have far exceeded the report I heard. Now, you can make the case, Solomon... This was in the weird transition period but where he wasn't, like a, he wasn't evil. He wasn't really a bad guy. He just, it seemed right. He's like, I'm, this is all for God's glory. 
But then when the Queen of Sheba came, who got the glory? Solomon did. And I think we can do that in our wealth. We can gain and acquire and accumulate, and it seems totally fine and normal and natural, and it doesn't seem bad for a while. But it can do something to us. The weight of the gold that Solomon received yearly, this is from his across his kingdom and the people that just wanted his favor so they would send him stuff, was 666 talents of gold, which is 25 tons of gold a year delivered to Solomon. That is not including revenues from merchants and traders and from all the Arabian kings and the governors of the territories. That's just the gold. And it says during Solomon's reign, silver actually became kind of useless. There was no value to silver. They were like, meh, silver, blech. I mean, it's just silver. That's how wealthy Solomon was. He built up this wealth. And Jesus was the complete opposite of that. Here's what Jesus says. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, hey, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus was like, careful, man. You, I don't know if you know what that means. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And so Jesus, people, if people thought that Jesus was going to be the next king in the palace with the riches and the control, they're like, I want to be near that. And he's like, I don't think you want to be near this, because guess what? I'm homeless. And Jesus is like, I'm going to do it totally different than the kings do it. And even now me. 2022 America, I am the servant of a homeless Middle Eastern man from 2,000 years ago. That is going to make my life look weird on some level. You cannot say, yes, this guy, this poor, murdered Middle Eastern guy from 2,000 years ago, he's my master. I'm his slave. And think, but I can still live a totally normal life chasing the American dream. I cannot think that if I truly believe that, I'm going to fit in just fine in modern American life. But where are we? Which one, which one seems more desirable to you? Be honest right now. Would you like the security of wealth and the, the gold delivered to you? And would you like the report? Man, you're a lot richer than I even thought you were. Or would you like, yeah, I just, requ- I just rely on other people to, to help me out because I'm a homeless guy. And I'm not saying that we necessarily need to go out and sell everything and be homeless. I'm saying, like, Jesus consistently displayed, I'm going to be the opposite of the kings. Do we appreciate Jesus for how unlike the kings he is? And which one does our life more closely resemble? All right, I'm going to wrap this up. We're going to take communion. The murderer versus the murdered. So you remember uh, Abimelech. He was that first king. He's the one that hired all the, the scoundrels. This guy was bad. I mean, like, horrible, evil, wicked, bad. And Abimelech, he, he came to power, and he didn't really have that much of a hard path to power. And Abimelech, oh, so if you don't know, Abimelech was Gideon's son. Gideon, who you know Gideon? Blew the trumpets and they, they get, he was great. 
he ended up not doing so great. Worshipped a lot of idols, took tons of wives and concubines. He ended up having like 70 kids. Gideon did. And Abimelech was one of his kids. And Abimelech sees this as the pattern for his whole life. And when he decides he's going to take power, he does the unthinkable. Abimelech went to his father's home in Ophrah and on one stone murdered his 70 brothers, the sons of Jerubbabel. Jerubbabel is Gideon's other name. And so Gideon, uh, Abimelech got, he, he was... He was already in power. And, and yet, while he's in power, he's like, yeah, but I got 70 brothers, and they could do me in at any time and take power. So you know what I'm going to do? This makes perfect sense to me. I'm going to murder all of them. Now, how do you round up 70 people and kill them at one time in one place? You have a band of reckless scoundrels that you're paying. And so can you imagine the, the horrific scene of your brother rounding up all your siblings and just slaughtering them and you're just waiting to die. Abimelech was this horribly evil man and none of us are like him, okay? None of, none of you have done that. None of you probably have 70 brothers. But Jesus, he wasn't just, oh, this is, this is violent and I'm peaceful. He's, he's actually the complete opposite of a murderer, in that he was the one that was murdered. And so, this is, uh, this is Pilate again. And he asks the crowds, like, so what do you want me to do with this guy? And the whole crowd says, crucify him. Kill him. And he's like, why? What crime has he committed? And they don't even answer. They just say, crucify him. And Jesus is there. The evil kings were fine with slaughtering people to hold on to power. And here's what's crazy. The people became like the kings to slaughter Jesus. They were willing. They saw Jesus' life as nothing. Oh, he's not who we thought he was going to be. It'll be, make our lives easier if he's not here anymore. And so Jesus is the opposite of the kings because he's, he's not a murderer. <clears throat> he was the sacrifice. He was murdered. And so here's the kings and here's Jesus, okay? And I want to put up this list. Here's, here's a list of all five things we looked at. And the whole point of this series is that we're looking at the bad guys and we're taking an honest look at ourselves. We're like, how am I like that? Do I compare? Do I see them in me? And... But the thing with this, these guys are so bad, you're not, you're not the hero. You, you can be as good as you want, you're not the hero. Jesus is the hero. I want to look at how Jesus was t- so opposite. And so, here's a practical, okay, while we're, while we're taking communion. This is a really good exercise. You, you might be looking at this list, and you might be looking at this list um, with like a self-justifying lens. Which one do I feel most like Jesus? But here's what I want you to do. I want you to be honest and look at the list and find, find the specter, the continuum, where you're probably the most like the kings. Like, in which, which of these ways are you least like Jesus? 
Can you admit that actually, yeah, in some ways I am like Rehoboam. I am like Abimelech. I am like Ahaz. And then that's the conversation that you want to have with Jesus as we take the bread and the juice. Can you say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life, but I always choose control over surrender. It's just what I do, and I don't want to do that anymore. Help me. Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life, but I always choose being served over serving others. Help me. Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life, but I always choose riches and comfort and wealth and treasure. Help me. And so as we take communion, I want us to see that Jesus is the king that God promised. Jesus is not the guy that we would seize. He's the guy that we wait for and God gives us. If you're visiting or studying the Bible, my prayer is that I hope you see that you're, you're actually probably the master or the king of your own life. That's how we're wired. You might be seizing power over your own life. But God wants a more intimate relationship with us, more resembling the walk in the garden where he'll get to know us and he'll give us wisdom. And he wants to show you that there is a life where you stop being in charge of everything. And you, can, you surrender control to Jesus. Amen? I'm going to pray for us and then we'll take communion. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for the kind of king that we could never uh, get for ourselves when we seize power, when we seize, when we want to be like everybody else. Thank you for the kind of king that you desperately want to give us, though. And I pray, Father, that we can see uh, maybe a little bit of ourselves in all of the evil kings and then continually, every day, choose Jesus. Help us to push away from our desire for control and violence and riches. I pray, Father, that we can um, always lean on Jesus and his his ability to be a peacemaker, his ability to give up worldly wealth, his ability to surrender to your plan. And I pray that as we take the bread and the juice, that we can uh, every day, but especially now, make a commitment to take ourselves off of the throne that is in our heart and let Jesus be that king. We love you so much. We pray all of this in his name. Amen.